Uh, let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter 6. I was going to do something unheard of for study this morning, finish chapter 6 and do all of chapter 7, <clears throat> but that just ain't going to happen. <laughs> so uh, we might get into chapter 7 a little bit. Stephen's sermon that we're going to get into next week, if we're not raptured beforehand, it's going to blow you guys away. I think it's the coolest sermon in all of the Bible. So I encourage you guys, spend some time this week studying through chapter 7. And then spend some time in the Old Testament. What is Stephen talking about? What is he referring to? And read those passages because as he was speaking to his Jewish audience, they had an understanding of the background of the bomb that he drops on the council. So uh, dig in. You guys will be blessed big time. Um, let's pray. Uh, Father, it is always a privilege to take time to hear your word, to study your word. And we ask this morning, once again, that you give us ears to hear what your spirit has to say to the church. We thank you for how practical your word truly is for our lives. Even being written so long ago, Lord, it's hitting home with things right now, right here in our lives. Because it's your word which you told us is alive and powerful, and we, we can testify to that. We know it is. So would you please open our hearts to receive? I personally ask, Lord, for just a fresh feeling of your spirit. God, I'm feeling weak. I need your strength. I need clarity of mind. And I just pray, Father, as we look at this great example in the life of Stephen, just a neat brother, looking forward to meeting him someday. I'm sure many of us are. Lord, may we glean from his example of his testimony, his witness, his living for you. We ask in your name. Amen. So today, uh, we're going to get through the end of the chapter, hopefully. But I, I've called this uh, study, this message, the sermon today, A Martyr's Cry. And if you've ever read the Fox's Book of Martyrs, which I hope you have, as a Christian, that's just one of the books you read. And if you haven't, we have some upstairs in our library. Order one online. You can get them for like five bucks. But get a hold of the Fox's Book of Martyrs. Great account of uh, different men and women who laid down their lives for their faith in Christ and just radical things that took place in their martyrdom. So I'm sure, like me, your heart's stirred in your challenge when you hear of martyrs, when you read a book like Fox's Book of Martyrs, um, and you're challenged by the way some of the saints that have gone before us in the way they were persecuted, in the way that they were put to death. And I want to consider just a few examples with you guys this morning. A lot are familiar with one of the early church fathers by the name of Polycarp. Okay, Polycarp was 90 years old Okay, and he was part of the church that was in Smyrna. He was martyred for his faith, and he was unwilling to denounce Jesus as his Lord and his Savior. The governor begged him to consider to have that he'd give pity, like, hey, I, I want to grant you, you know, uh, all you need to do, I want to see you set free. All you need to do is denounce Jesus Christ, and I will release you. Well, Polycarp replied, 86 years I've served him, and he never once wronged me. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? Isn't that awesome? You know what the governor then did? He threatened him with fire. Well, I'm going to light you on fire then. And you know what Polycarp then said? He said, you threatened me with fire which burns for an hour and after is extinguished. But you will have to face fires of judgment that will burn for eternity unless you repent. Can you guys picture this 90-year-old man who's walked with Jesus all these years? Finally come to the end, he's finishing well, isn't he? I love the example we have in that brother. Another one is of John Huss. He was a reformer who called England to get back to Christianity of the Bible, which was 
uh, he was tried and he was convicted as a heretic. The last words that John Huss uh, spoke were that in 100 years, God will raise up a man whose call for reform will not be suppressed. Almost exactly 100 years later, in 1517, Martin Luther nailed the famous 95 Theses to the church door in Wittenberg. So that day, the prophecy of Huss had come true. And one more. We could talk all morning just on martyrs. Really, guys, grab the Fox's Book of Martyrs. Get familiar with Voice of the Martyrs ministry. There's a lot. It stirs you up. But one more I want to share with you guys. A man by the name of Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley. Uh, Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley were two famous English preachers. Uh, and they were martyred for their faith in, protest, uh, in protest to the corruption that was within the Roman Catholic Church. They were tried together at the stake and set on fire. Latimer's last words are famous. Be of good cheer, Master Ridley, and play the man. For we shall this day light such a candle in England as I trust by God's grace shall never be put out. I love it. And I don't know about you, but when I read descriptions like this, I'm in wonder. Okay? I wonder, you know, how they did that, how they went through that. Would I be able to do that? if I was brought to that point of having to stand for my faith in Christ, to die for him. Well, today, by the grace of God, we are going to look at the first martyr in the early church, Stephen. And although the point of this message is not really dying for Jesus, but it's really living for Jesus. There are many people today who are living by default rather than by design. They aim at nothing, and that is what they're hitting. It's just insignificance. Today is Stephen, um, in his example, we're going to see a life that was well lived. So let's pick it up in Acts chapter 6. Look at verse 8 with me here. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. So we're talking about martyr. What is a martyr? A martyr is a witness. That's what it means, a witness. So the world um, is looking for witnesses. Our memory verse for next week is out of Revelation 12. Okay? They overcame Satan by what? By the blood of the Lamb and the testimony of the saints. Okay? There is power in our testimony. You guys understand that? God has called us to go and to be salt and light, to be witnesses to this word world. So the word witness in the Greek is martis, from which we get our English word martyr. So we think of a martyr as someone who is willing to die for what, that, what they believe in, but I want you guys to note that we also consider Stephen, this young man who was killed for faith in Jesus, as a martyr. But that, before Stephen was a martyr, he was a martis. Okay, that is, before Stephen died for Jesus, he lived for Jesus. Persecution does not make you a martyr. It only proves that you are a martis. So today I want to consider four aspects of Stephen's life as we jump into this passage. And I think some of this is very practical for you and I today in our lives. So, <clears throat> who desires to live by faith, by design, rather than default? Okay, we need to live a life well lived. So we're going to look at Stephen's call, his claim, his continence, and his concern here. First of all, Stephen's call. Now we first met Stephen last week, right? He was part of that group that was named to help serve. The Hellenists were complaining, hey, we're not getting our fair share. They're distributing the food. They're jipping us off. What's going on? And they went complaining, murmuring, to the apostles. That's not a good thing to do. We should not be complainers. But the apostles said, hey, we're called by God. We need to be about writing the New Testament right now, giving ourselves to prayer, preaching the word. This is important. You guys find seven men full 
of the Holy Spirit and have them oversee this need, this ministry. Um, and Stephen, we were told, was one of those who stepped up into that role. Um, so we're told in verse 3, if you look back, that these men were to be of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom. So we know that Stephen falls into those three categories. And uh, Stephen was one of the seven men chosen. He was singled out for us, and it seems that he was a cut above the rest. Okay, What's going on with this guy? We're told in verse 5, he's full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit. And in verse 8, as we just read, he's full of power. God ends up using him in a powerful way. So he's, he's filled up, he's, he's full. And this full thing carries the idea of being abundant in measure. You, got, you guys know that God wants us to have an overflow in our life? And that is only going to be when we're in that sweet spot with him. Because if we're not receiving from him, what do we have to give? What overflow will there be? So, an overflow permeating something. Now, full of faith. Where does the Bible tell us faith comes from? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. That was our memory verse a few weeks back. Okay, So it's the Word of God. The more we get in the Word, the more our faith is built up. Okay, And I can tell personally, the more I'm in the Word, the better witness my life is, and it's not work. It's just a natural overflow, but it's because I'm taking the time to meet with Him. There's a sweetness in the Scriptures. And let's be honest today, guys. Life is so busy, and the world is full of so much stuff. Even within the church, there's so many programs, so many devotionals, so many books out there. Who has time to actually just sit down and just read the Word of God? But that's what we need, guys. Because this is where our faith is going to grow. It's from His Word. And just taking that time, man, it's okay if you don't have crazy hobbies in life. You know, why? Because it leaves some time. Time for what? Just to read the Word. Nothing better. You know, that TV show you might be watching that's pretty lame, just stop watching it. Spend time reading the Word. You guys know what I'm talking about? I'm so disappointed with TV lately. It's just like, oh, this one sucks too. This one. Like, why do we even waste our time? So, every once in a while there's a good one, but not too often. So, um, his sermon in Acts chapter 7, Stephen, uh, he had a good handle on the Word of God, and that was one thing that was really convicting, okay? And he, his faith increased. We are, we're going to see what this man did, the witness he was, the boldness he had, and why did he have it? Because he was a man of the Word of God. Well, wasn't he just a guy who was to serve tables? What do you mean he was a man of the Word? I was convicted about that. Because I'm reading and he lays out the Scripture. You're like, boom! Blows these guys away. And I'm just like, okay. You know, he's supposed to be serving tables and he knows the Word of God. My conviction, you guys know this. You hear this all the time from me. We all need to be students of the Word of God. Each and every one of us. And it's something we should be growing in. We should be maturing. And if you've been in the Lord for any amount of time, you should be teachers. Aren't we called to go make disciples? That's our call. And let me tell you what, in Christianity, it's a little different than natural growth. You grow as fast as you want to. Okay? God's not going to force you to spend time in prayer, force you to study His Word, but you get to, and you get to as much as you want to. And it's on you. Man, you can be six months old in the Lord and you can be spiritually mature. You don't have to be a little baby in diapers. You understand? And there are some saints who are a couple decades old who are still wearing diapers because they never chose to seek him, to learn, to allow the word of God to grow their faith. So this man was full of faith, abundant, okay? So what are we full of? I mean, is that a good question? We see his example, he's full of faith. So we have to ask ourselves, what are we full of? Are we full of doubt? Are we full of pride? Are we full of self? Are we full of fear? Are we full of worry? And what happens when we do those things? We're definitely not honoring God at all. 
So the word full also means to be controlled by motivation, passion, empowerment. So it's really the application of the Holy Spirit in our lives, isn't it? So there's a progression that starts here. It starts with full of faith. So Stephen was strong in his belief, right? He believed that God was big, that he wanted to do big things. He had a good perspective on what he was called to do and what God was up to, which also leads us to surrender. Because when you have a right view of God, is it easier to surrender? Absolutely. But if you're not looking to him, knowing that he is control in control, that he's on the throne, that he is able, if you're not doing that, if you're not reading the scriptures and your faith is growing and you're trusting, believing that he's faithful, what are you going to do? You're going to be trusting your own self, your own wit and wisdom. You're going to manipulate. You're going to do whatever you can do. You're going to strive to get what you want. And for the Christian, one of the most beautiful things, one of the fruits that we can see in the life of a person who is surrendered is just this submission, this humility of, yeah, it's all you, God. <laughs> I'm weak. I need you. So, which leads to the surrender, being controlled by the Holy Spirit and open to the Lord, which results in power. So, I also want you guys to note that Stephen starts his ministry in a very simple way, waiting on tables, faithfully serving people. And we don't know much uh, about how the time has lapsed here, okay? Because we're reading in chapter 6, now it's jumping into this event, okay? Is this a couple days, a few weeks, a couple months? Guys, Acts was written over 30 years of time. We don't know exactly how much time has passed during this. Um, but I want you guys to see he was faithful with his ministry, and Stephen was faithful in waiting tables, serving widows, and God blessed him with greater responsibility. And that is what God does. Jesus taught us the parable of the talents, didn't he? If you're faithful, you know, he will give you more. Be faithful in the little things, and he's going to give you more. Yesterday, we had a leadership training. We had a great group of guys here. Uh, we got into Mark chapter 10. But it's one of those things, we are called to serve God. And some of us, well, that goes against my agenda. I don't really want to do that. Well, God's called you to do that as his kid. He's our example, isn't he? And didn't Jesus come to serve? Exactly. So we follow his example. And one of the things, when you serve well, God's going to give you more. He's going to give you more of what? More service to do. <laughs> and some people don't like that idea. Well, when all said and done, guys, I will tell you, you will not regret it when you finally stand before your maker and you get to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Those are the greatest words I think any human being could ever hear is hearing their maker say that to them. And it's just about loving and serving others. Okay? And it's a blessing. There's a blessing in it. Um, so that's exactly what God does here. And Jesus taught this parable. Um, Stephen's grasped this reality of fruitfulness with reward um, so god is moving in the life of stephen and the devil doesn't like it so guess what <laughs> the opposition comes right if you start serving stepping out doing what god wants satan's going to come he's going to come quickly be aware of that brothers and sisters all right i'm going to change mics All right, we on? All right. Um, let's take a look at verse 9. I think that's where we're at here. Um, yep. So don't be surprised. When you're living for Jesus, Satan's going to show up. Um, verse 9. Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the uh, freedmen, uh, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom of the spirit by which he spoke. So in verse 9, this word disputing, okay, suzateo in the Greek, 
It literally means to examine. So they were examining or they were testing him. But he had the right answer to all their inquiries. And then look at verse 10. They were not able to resist. So the spirit of wisdom, okay? Uh, some, uh, so they were going to resort to making things up, okay? We can't come against this guy. God is definitely with him. No matter what we bring his way, he's got an answer for it. So let's just lie about him and get him in trouble that way. Let's take a look at verse 11. Then they secretly induced or paid men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. They also set up false witnesses who said, This man does not uh, cease to speak blasphemous words against the holy place, speaking about the temple, and the law. For we have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs of Moses, uh, which Moses has delivered to us. So now this brings us to the second point I want us to catch this morning, guys. And that's Stephen's claim. You see, we see in verse five or 12, here it tells us that Stephen was brought before the council. This would have been the Sanhedrin. Okay, and you guys should be familiar with the Sanhedrin. We've talked about it. They're the same group that tried Jesus. The same council that brought Peter and John before them and all the apostles. And recall, most of them were Sadducees. They were ones that didn't believe in the miraculous. Didn't believe in the resurrection, the afterlife, or angels. So, that is why they were so upset about these accusations about Jesus destroying the temple. Now, I want you to remember, when Jesus went to the temple, it was a pretty radical scene, wasn't it? He ended up driving out all these money changers, attacking the racket of the religious leaders of the day. Using the temple, they were swindling people, we told in John's Gospels records the event that the religious leaders questioned Jesus by whose authority was he doing this. And we're told in John chapter 2, verse 19, Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? Now, this was the claim that infuriated the religious leaders, and they never forgot it. You see, at his crucifixion, they raised up men to give false report. And he said that it would destroy, that he would destroy the temple and he would rebuild it. So John's gospel adds this insight for us about those words. In verse 21 of chapter 2, he said, But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scriptures and the word which Jesus had said. So apparently, Stephen was making the same connection, and he was calling them out on it and as he spoke to the people. But once again, the people were not getting it. And because of the Sadducees, they were really materialists, all they were living for was their temple. Look at how great this is. Look at our great building. And it was beautiful. It was magnificent. Our children this morning are learning of Solomon's temple. Here is Herod's temple. But there was much that went into these places. Very materialistic. Look how great our temple is. Well, the greatness of the temple in truth is, hey, it's because that's where God dwelt the glory of the living God, that's what makes it so darn cool. But does God live within a building today? The Holy of Holies, no. Do you not know that you are the temple of the living God? That's where he dwells today, guys. And that's what it's about. Where is the glory of God? Where is he? That's why it's a beautiful thing to be around other saints, other believers. So, 
Sadducees, very uh, materialistic. Uh, the temple being their crowning jewel. It's like someone saying, hey, the White House, blow it up. And three days later, we'll build the entire thing again. <laughs> Impossible, right? Well, that's kind of what these guys were saying, okay? Bringing accusations against. So don't you dare talk about the temple that way. So focused on the temporal, uh, the material. So here's what Stephen's claim was saying to them and to us. You see, God's purposes were greater than any material thing they could ever have or ever see. So the takeaway for you and I this morning, the purposes of God are for you and for me. Okay, First of all, spiritually, and secondly, eternally. Are we living for the here and now, or do we have our minds set on those things above? the eternal you see this material world that we live in just happens to be a medium where god works out his eternal purposes so lord help us to remember that truth so stephen's life proved that he was uh, convinced of that so it's about the eternal it's not about the temporal and really the martyrs cry here for us this morning is live for jesus that's the cry. Live, brother and sister, for Jesus. It is worth it here, right now, and for all of eternity. Many Christians live with this mindset. I hope that Jesus doesn't come back until my escrow closes or my honeymoon. I really want to get married and have a honeymoon or I want to get this degree or I want to make my first million. It's just crazy the way we think. And that was not the mindset at all in the early church. So in the days when Mary was queen in England, two Christian men martyred. One was lame. He was blind. He was approached, as he approached the stake, uh, he threw down his cane and he said this, Take courage, brothers. These flames will cure us both. So this claim that Jesus was going to destroy the temple was not true and spiritual, uh, not physical. Do you have that mindset? Okay, As you read the accounts of martyrs through history, they understood that. They got the eternal. That's why a lot of them, man, they're singing praises. They're rejoicing as they're being killed in martyr. They saw the big picture. They got reality. See, this claim... That Jesus came to change customs? Was that true? Absolutely. <laughs> Jesus was radical. God came on the scene. He's like, there's enough of this religious stuff. This tradition. This is not my heart. This is not my will. You guys are missing it. You see, Jesus came to show us that it is about relationship. It's not about religion. There's a difference. Man reaching God and God reaching man. Do you guys know that biblical Christianity, what the Word of God says, it is about God reaching man, God coming down. God so loved the world, He gave. It is relationship. Every other religion in the world is about man reaching God, and we can't do that. Even the best of us, the strongest, the smartest of us, can't accomplish that, guys. You see, man reaches sacrifices, rules, regulations, rituals. If we just do these things, then we'll be good. If we earn God's favor, but you can't do that. Jesus put an end to temple sacrifices. No more. The Day of Atonement, that one day during the year where the high priest would go in, would make a sacrifice. Sometimes it took, sometimes it didn't. Sometimes they dropped dead right there in the presence of God. But Jesus was the final sacrifice. Now we can come boldly. He didn't come to destroy the law, but he came to fulfill it. How did he do that? By being that final sacrifice. Fulfilling the law. You see, Jesus, he did change everything. Study your Bibles, guys. It is so clear. And that's what the world is missing they don't understand. Jesus did.
did it. There's nothing left for us to do. Nothing for us to do except receive. Receive the gift. He's not going to force eternal life upon anybody. Relationship, that would be rape. That would be gross. But God loves us. And he asks, hey, will you be mine? I want to be yours. You have my heart. I love you. Will you let me be yours? I love it, guys. So, Jesus ushered in the new covenant with this sacrifice. So faith in his finished work, that's what it's all about. If you're an unbeliever in Jesus Christ, you need to believe in Jesus Christ. And don't take my word for it. Listen to his word. Read the scriptures. It's so clear. You can't save yourself. God really did die. He really did rise from the dead so you could have eternal life. It's on you to believe and to receive by faith. So Stephen was overjoyed to make that claim. I wish I could have been there seeing this whole thing unfold. It would have been so cool. So let's look at this third thing I want to hit on this morning is Stephen's continence. I know this is something that you guys have thought on before. You know, when it tells us in verse 15, his face shone like the face of an angel. How cool is that, right? It's interesting that these guys, they didn't even believe in angels. <laughs> and they're saying, hey, look at his face. He's shining like an angel. Um, it's so cool. <laughs> uh, so they said he looked like one. Now, we have no idea if Stephen knew uh, that he even looked like an angel. I think he just saw the big picture of what was coming down the pipe here. Um, that, <laughs> hey, I'm just going to speak the truth about Jesus because you guys in the Sanhedrin here, you're missing it. You're so caught up. You're so lost. You're clinging to this religion, these laws. You think you're okay. You're missing your God. Let me tell you about him. He loves you. He wants relationship with you. You know the scriptures. Why can't you hear what the scriptures say? He's totally stoked. So Stephen gives a great sermon in chapter 7. Before, he give, before giving a witness, uh, he's being a witness. You guys need to understand. Do you guys remember one of our first sermons in, in the study through Acts? As we looked at chapter 1, verse 8. Didn't God promise his Holy Spirit for what? I'm going to give you guys the Holy Spirit to be witnesses. Okay, this man is full of the Holy Spirit. And because of it, he's being a witness to Jesus. So the same holds true for us. Let your light shine, right? Let the world see. Be a witness. And they'll do what? They'll glorify your Father in heaven. I love it. I love it. My wife shared a neat testimony with me yesterday about uh, a Jewish man who doesn't believe in Jesus, but one of the greatest acts that this Jewish man has ever seen in person was done by a brother in the Lord. He's never seen a man go out and love and serve and protect in such a way. What a great demonstration. Because we can say a lot of words, and yes, we need to preach the gospel, but the world is watching us, guys. Are they seeing the Holy Spirit at work in our lives? That there's something different? Because we're just the same. The only difference is the living God lives in us. <laughs> the way we think, our priorities, they're changed. And the world doesn't get that. And as they look in and they see, they should have questions. And there should be light there. It should be a challenging thing. Sometimes the world doesn't like that light. They'll come against it like we see here with Stephen. We don't like what you're doing. You're serving, loving, taking care of these widows. You're preaching truth. You're loving God. Too much. Too much for us, Stephen. we got to get rid of you. And the world still does that today. So Christians, they're like the moon, right? We reflect, uh, the moon reflects that of the sun. Well, we reflect what? the Son of God, Jesus. And how do we do that? We spend time with Jesus. That's when you will shine brighter. The world causes an eclipse, doesn't it? Okay? That's the truth. So the more time we spend with Jesus, His light shines through us, um, on us, through us. It's beautiful. Let's move on to our last thing with Stephen this morning. Uh, Stephen's concern. We see this in chapter 
7. Look at verse 1 with me. Then the high priest said, Are these things so? And he said, Brethren and fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he dwelt in Haran. And he said to him, Get out of your country and from your relatives and come to the land that I will show you. I love this. He begins to preach. And it's a phenomenal sermon, guys. Read ahead. Take it in. But I want you guys to note that Stephen doesn't defend himself. He doesn't defend himself. We're quick to defend ourselves, I think. Okay? And biblically, I don't see that. Jesus, did he? He opened not his mouth, did he? He was led to the slaughter as a lamb. Not saying a word. And Stephen, he doesn't defend himself. And it's not hard to. I mean, he was justified to. <laughs> They're lying about him, okay? especially when things are not true. So Stephen didn't defend himself. All Stephen wanted to do was to tell the story of God, the God of glory. So his concern was for the glory of God, period. He declares to them the work and the plan of God, and he sets forth the history of God's relationship with the people of Israel. So history, it's his story. There's a point to history, the history of mankind. The Bible that you hold in your hands, it's a history book, guys, from creation. And you know what? History is even written in there, things that are yet to happen. That's the coolest part. That's one reason we know it's from God. But take the God out of human history, you remove the glory of history which is precisely what our schools are trying to do. Take God out of our schools, the Bible prayer. They've done a good job with that. 1957, Bibles are no longer allowed to be taught in our schools. Look it up yourselves, guys. Crime rate, divorce, all the junk in this world. Steady incline, we're a sinful people. But 1957, look, everything has skyrocketed since. Why? We've taken God out of the mix. That's why. You see, we teach evolution. All happened by chance. When we teach evolution, it leads to things like abortion. Abortion is a logical conclusion of evolution. Survival of the fittest, right? If there's not a God and everything that happens happens by chance, then this is whatever, and you want to, whatever you want to call it, that's growing inside of a woman is thereby chance and therefore she can do whatever she wants to do with it. Do you understand where that thinking comes from? It's from the pit of hell. There is no God. There is no creator. Okay? And if there is no God, that means I don't answer to anyone and it is up to me to try to figure it out. Whatever I want to do with my life. So if I get pregnant by chance, there is no reason to not discard the baby, and that is the natural byproduct of the evolutionary mind. So when you take God out of the picture, life becomes worthless. When you take God out of the picture, life becomes purposeless. You see, take God out of history, life becomes meaningless. History is all about this, the God of glory. That is what it is all about. The Bible says that he dwells in light and that, is, that it is unapproachable. The Bible declares that he is holy, that he is perfect. He is all-powerful. He is so indescribable. He is beyond our full comprehension. This God of glory is unknowable by the finite mind. But this God of glory has chosen to make himself known. You see, God is the pursuer of man. That really is the focus point of Stephen's message. It is God pursued Israel, desiring relationship with her. He did it. Stephen declared that these teachers in Israel, that this is where the glory of God is clearly seen in his heart to pursue a stiff-necked, rebellious people. 
Stephen shows a pattern with the people of Israel using Moses and Joseph as examples. That when God sent a deliverer, that the people of Israel did not recognize them. Here's your deliverer. And what did they do? They rejected them until when? Their second coming. And that's exactly what the Jews are doing today. They have rejected Jesus. You say you're the Messiah. You say you're the one that our scriptures speak of. We don't believe you. We reject you. We want to crucify you. Get rid of you. And they have... And we are told by the prophet Zechariah that when Christ returns, they're going to ask him, where did you get those scars? And Jesus is going to say, I received these scars when I was in the house of my friends. I came to you and you rejected me. And they will receive him when he comes again. Which we're going to talk about tonight. At youth group, I'm going to be going through the Olivet Discourse. If you guys want to tune in at 6.30 on our Facebook page, uh, we'll be hitting on a lot of those scriptures. But the Bible here is a record of the persistent purposes of God and his dealing with man. That is history. That is his story pursuing God. So God sought to lead and to bless Israel. She rebelled and God pursued over and over again. So such a glorious thing when you guys think about the persistence of God. And aren't you guys glad that he's persistent? How many of you guys took a little while to get saved? Like you know God was after you. God was putting people in your life, surrounding you. (laughs) Finally, finally you received the truth. He's persistent. And some of you guys might be running. Knock it off. God has a purpose for you. Okay? You are here for him. Surrender to him today and start living for eternity, living for his glory, his purposes. You see, such a glorious thing is this persistence of God. See, God in the face of man's rebellion, I mean, it is an awesome thing, and that is exactly what Stephen is laying out for these guys. So God never wavered at all in his mercy or in his promise to redeem the lost. Paul tells us in Romans 5.20, where sin abounded, God's grace superabounded. Okay? Should we continue in sin? Well, we have this grace abounding, right? Don't do it. <laughs> Don't do it. God has been gracious. Don't use the grace of God. Don't abuse it wrongly, guys. You need to respond to it appropriately in your life. Okay? He has pursued you. Okay? This morning, you're not here by accident. God is pursuing you. But you might be like these stiff-necked Jews that just don't want to hear it. Sorry, Pastor, I have my own agenda this morning. I have my own purposes for being here, and it's very self-centered. Be open to what the Holy Spirit has, what he is speaking to you this morning. I want to finish today, guys. Um, You say, but as I read the rest of this account, these things didn't pan out so good for old Steve. Well, he dies young. What a waste. Not so. You see, Stephen wasn't disappointed one bit. Let's look at verse 54 uh, at the end of chapter uh, 7. Look at verse 54. When he heard these things, they were cut to the heart. And they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven. And he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, I see the heavens. He's being put to death. I see the heavens open. I don't see you guys killing me. I see the heavens open up. I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. In verse 57, and then he cried out with a loud voice. He stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord, and they cast him out of the city, and they stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul, and they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he knelt down and he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. 
Wow, how incredible is verse 56 here, guys? I see heaven open and Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. This is amazing to me. This is just amazing. Why is Jesus standing? He's seated at the right hand of the Father. We always see him seated in this heavenly scene. This is the one time we see him standing. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. And as Stephen stood for Jesus on earth, Jesus stood for Stephen in heaven. And almost as if the Lord of glory was standing to honor the first martyr to welcome him into heaven. Well done, my son. Well done. You stand for Jesus here, and Jesus will stand for you there. I also want you guys to know in verse 58, they laid their coats at the feet of a young man, Saul. This is Saul of Tarsus, a very famed Pharisee. We're told in chapter 8, verse 1, that Saul was consenting to the death, the idea that he might have been the ringleader of this group. He sought to single-handedly put an end to Christianity. Well, what's the significance of that, Landon? Why are you bringing that up? Because Saul, in chapter 9, gets converted. He comes to salvation. This one who's persecuting the church. And God ends up radically changing this man and changing his name to Paul, the man who ends up writing a big chunk of the New Testament. That's our God. Anyway, I'm so excited to get into his life. So... When he's converted, he gets to meet Jesus. Anyways, it's going to be good. But you guys remember what Jesus said to Paul? Saul, why are you kicking against the goats? Okay? What's a goad, Pastor? Glad you asked. It's a wooden stick. Hey, let's get the donkey going. Boom, boom. Poke him in the butt, right? Goad was Stephen's sermon, guys. The prick. His face... His words that day kept pricking at him. Do you think Saul was being convicted that day? You betcha. Why are you kicking against the goats? You see, Stephen's life, though short, was well lived. Lived for Jesus as a martyr, ready to be a martyr. Welcomed into the glory, into glory by Jesus. When death strikes the believer down, they fall right into heaven. And from heaven was able to see the impact of Saul. So what about your life? If you died today, you see tomorrow is promised to no man. Tomorrow is not promised to any one of us. Are you right with God? Are you ready to meet Jesus? Two reactions. Remain stiff-necked or open your heart. Which is it going to be? Those are the only two choices that matter in life, guys. And once you make a decision to live for Jesus, go all in. Go all in, brothers and sisters. When it's all said and done, you will not regret it. You see, Jesus, if need be, will help you to die for him. So two closing thoughts, and I really want you guys to spend some time pondering on these, praying through these, being honest, not with me, but with your God. Be honest. First one is, what am I full of? Be honest. Pray like David prays. Search me, God. Search me inside. What's really going on? Man, my thoughts, my heart, they can be deceitful. <laughs> there can be things going on that I don't even see and recognize. Would you test me? Search those things out and show me if there is any wicked way in me. Anything that I'm full of that's taking me away from what you are asking me, calling me to. Another question is, who or what am I controlled by? Who or what am I controlled by? 
So those are the two questions. Spend some time with your God. Pray through, think through, study out these things. So Father, we thank you for this morning. Again, wow, what a testimony, what a witness your son Stephen is for us. Looking forward to meet him someday. God, and we pray just these practical truths, Lord, would uh, just take, take root in our lives, go deep. Help us, Father, by your Holy Spirit to get it, to see the big picture. Help us to get over our own agendas and wants and desires to be about your kingdom, your business, your purposes, for we know they're good. God, even in taking a man so young, and we ask the questions, why? You know, and you work those things out for good. It's hit home personally to many of us in recent years. And we see the fruit of it. We see the fruit of Stephen with a man by the name of Saul who ends up coming to faith. We thank you so much, Lord, for your purposes. And we ask simply in closing that your will would be done. God, help us to shine for you, Jesus. We ask in your name. Amen. Why don't you guys stand? I have a benediction to share with you guys out of Acts chapter. I'm not going to tell you guys because you'll find out someday when we get there in six months from now. Um, isn't it cool that his face shone like an angel? Um, some of you guys are familiar with a guy by the name of Charles Spurgeon. He, he's a phenomenal preacher. He's known as the Prince of Preachers, but he's uh, written some books on, uh, you know, um, to his students. Just, hey, if you're going to be a preacher, students, this is what you should do, and this is how you ought to preach, and things you should know. And I remember reading years ago, uh, he was talking uh, to his students, and he was saying, hey, when you guys are preaching on heaven, man, your faces should shine so bright, and you should have the biggest grin, and he's just going on and on. When you're talking about heaven, you should be totally stoked. And when you're talking about hell, just use your normal face. <laughs> I love that. So, your benediction for this morning. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Amen? Amen. Amen.